Whether you operate one forklift or thousands, one location or hundreds, the new My Toyota customer portal can help you optimize your operation and material handling equipment. This one-stop, free-to-use platform is designed to help you take control of your information and make smarter decisions, all at the touch of a button. Register and access your data today at my.toyotaforklift.com. That's my.toyotaforklift.com. The New Warehouse Podcast, hosted by Kevin Lawton, is your source for insights and ideas from the distribution, transportation, and logistics industry. A new episode every Monday morning brings you the latest from industry experts and thought leaders. And now, here's Kevin. Hey, it's Kevin Lawton with the New Warehouse Podcast, bringing you a new episode today. And on today's episode, I am going to be joined by Courtney Folk. She is the CEO and co-founder at Renewal Logistics, and she has a really, really interesting story. I've heard it on a, another podcast, and it was really intriguing, and we've kind of been in, in touch for a, a little while, and, and finally getting the chance to connect here on the, the podcast. Really excited to bring her on, hear her story, and also talk about her, her business, Renewal Logistics, and how it is really focused on a lot of challenging things, I would say, in, in the industry. So definitely interested to hear about that and also kind of her, her perspective on the, the 3PL landscape as it sits now and, and as we're going into the next few years as well. So Courtney, it's a pleasure to welcome you to the show. How are you today? Oh, great. Thank you. So excited to be here. Yeah, I've um, been following your podcast for a while and it's, it's great. So I feel very uh, just lucky to be here. So glad to be here with you. <laughs> well, thank you very much for that. And thank you for following along. It's great to get you on as a, a guest here too, and, and pick your brain a little bit. But I, I think first, like, let's kind of set the, the foundation on, on how you got here and, and what you're doing with Renewal Logistics. So, I, I mean, tell us a little bit about your, your background. It's really, really interesting. So I, I want to dive into that. So tell us a little bit about kind of, you know, how you got into the, the industry and, and how it came about about and, and how you kind of got to Renewal Logistics to, to where it is today? Yeah, you know, that's a fun story. It's very adventurous, I would say. So when my <laughs> husband and I, Brian, uh, <laughs> when we were dating, we both kind of hated our jobs. He was a chemist at SLED, which is the state law enforcement division in South Carolina. Mm. And and I was a corporate sales rep for Altel, which is now Verizon. And I sold like fleet plans for cell phones. And that okay. was a really new thing back then. So I'm dating myself a little bit, but um, <laughs> so I had this crazy quota that was just impossible. I saw like 10 salespeople come and go. He hated the work ethic of all the people that were around him. And so mm -hmm. we were just both like, okay, well, we're going to get married and what are we going to do? Cause we're not going to stay in these, these dead end jobs. And so he was like, you know what? My parents have a business. They have mm -hmm. four little drag stores at this point. They have this little fledgling business of handling restoration for customers who've had house fires. Maybe we jump into that and see what we can do. And then, you know, see, you know, it's an opportunity to get our foot in the door at the business. And then maybe we can just take it and turn it into something else. And so that's kind of what we did. Brian proposed to me on like a Saturday. <laughs> and then on a Monday, <laughs> I put in my two weeks notice and was like, oh. bye y'all. Okay. 
Uh, <laughs> and so we started working together in his parents' business. And within about a year, we had grown it to where it was the second or third largest dry cleaning business in Columbia, South Carolina. Mm. But it was this issue of like customers are four units per customer. So you're dealing with these very small units per customer and it's very challenging to make people happy. And it's a lot of like, custom, you know, employees calling out on Saturdays and then you're stuck having to go run a wedding dress up to someone who's just really emotional. So mm-hmm. we decided how can we use our equipment and assets and technology and knowledge that we have and our experience to do something else to grow into a larger arena. And so I have always been looking for how do you go from like, you know, to just 10x or 100x that units per customer. And so we got into insurance restoration and quickly grew to become one of the largest dry cleaning companies that help support, help customers get their lives back together after house fires by cleaning all their clothing and bed linens in, in, in their home. And so an average customer there, it's more like 400 or 800 units per customer. So we, we, we 100x our, our per customer. Did that for a few years. And then in 2013, we were approached. Someone found us online. Mm. That, and I, I won't say the name of the company or anything, but it was one of the largest apparel brands that you've, you've probably, you probably own clothes. You're probably wearing something from them right now, actually. And they had an issue. They had like nine trailers of jeans that were contaminated with mold that had to be sold in two weeks to a top, a top like big box wholesale club. And this club is known for being extremely difficult with chargebacks. And the relationship had just been a really challenging one for a while. And so, you know, they called us, actually the person who sold the jeans to this company called us and said, can you help me? I can't find anyone else in the, in the country to do this. We said, yes, we showed up at this huge customer's office. It was a million square foot DC and we walk in and we're like 33 at the time. And they're like, who are these two kids showing up? And it's this room full of suits. I mean, it's this huge boardroom, 20 people in there. And they're all the top execs of this company because this is a hundred million dollar problem. If they don't, this, then they're going to lose that relationship. And that's a hundred million dollars a year. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it was high stakes and we were, you, you should ask my husband, he'll tell you that he was just stress sweating the whole time we were sitting there. We <laughs> were there for all day yeah. trying to convince we could do this work for them. But ultimately they said, yes, they wanted to work with us. And that was really because they just didn't have a choice. And mm-hmm. So, but they were like, we're sure this is going to fail. You guys are small. There's, you know, your mom and pop, your small mm-hmm. time. There's no way you can support a business this large. It was 300,000 units. They had to clean in two weeks. And, um, wow. Yeah. It was, That's a lot. So I'm curious because it, you said, you know, you, you spent like all day in this, this boardroom, like trying to convince these suits, right. To, to give you the business. But like, even before that, like when you heard like how big of a job this was and how quickly it needed to be done. I mean, like, how did you convince your yourself that like, Hey, we, we can do this. We can figure this out and we can get this done. Man, that's a really good question. I don't think I've ever been asked that before. You know, I have a very, I'm a, like a visual, I have a, I can see things, you know, I'm very vision, vision driven. And so, you know, I heard the volume, I knew it was like a lot of product and I, being in the insurance restoration industry, 
they use a tremendous amount of temps. And also you have to be able to like go from zero to 60 in, in one day. Like you'll have, right. you'll go you'll be quiet. And then you have a tornado that comes through and you have like 30 different homes that you have to pack out in two days, that type of a thing. So we're used to this kind of like crazy volume shifts and I had, we'd never worked with temps at this point at all, but I had a friend, I actually hired this girl and she was like a little bit of a disaster. Like I didn't know it till after I hired her. Disaster she was. And I hired her because like, you know, I, I can manage a hundred temps at a time on a water damage. And I was like, well, you know, I was like, if that girl, if that train wreck was able to do that, then I'm surely there's a way that we can do that. And <laughs> and I had an idea for how we could actually clean these items that was not going to use the same, you know, the limitations that most companies would look at would be like your equipment. You have to, you can only do so much with your equipment, but I had some ideas about a way to do it to where we didn't have those equipment limitations and we could use people. So it was a matter of, you know, like laying out, all the steps. And then it was once we had an idea of that cleaning process, then it was, okay, how do we scale this? How do, cause the cleaning was only one part. It was unpacking, taking off the trim, retrimming everything, repolybagging it all, re multi skew case packing it all. And I've got a big whiteboard and, you know, drew out tables, drew out the flow, started thinking about, Okay, so the first day we'll do the unpacking and the cleaning. The next morning we're going to have to do the packaging and then we're going to have to cycle through this so that we have enough space and enough people to be able to get it all done and started mapping out our costs. And, you know, there's there's a whole science behind, you know, coming up with how many full time employees and labor planning and, right. and cost planning. But at the time, I did not know any of that. I just mm. use logic and, you know. Um, gut feel on what it was going to cost. And we were pretty, we were pretty close actually. But, you know, in the dry cleaning business, you're, you're touching like one item is getting touched probably 15 times before it ends up back to that customer. And right. so there, there's a lot of logistics that take place in that process already. There's, there's a lot of chain of, of uh, custody and like KPIs. So, you know, it was kind of, honestly, I'll say this, the dry cleaning business is the hardest business we've ever been in. And then the insurance restoration yeah. business is a little bit harder mm -hmm. than, than fulfillment on a large scale. But fulfillment for us is a piece of cake. It's like yeah. died and gone. You have regular revenue, regular <laughs> revenue, yeah. you know, <laughs> customers are happy if you just do the job right for them and you're going to get the money, you know, it's, it's a great business. So mm. interesting. So, yeah. so so you got the, so you got this big job, right. And, and you, you made it happen. Right. So, so tell us a little bit about kind of how, how you went from that and then ended up now in the fulfillment business, as you just mentioned. We'll be back after a quick break. You hear a lot about supply chains these days, because if the past couple years have taught us anything, it's that an efficient, well-managed supply chain is absolutely critical to keeping businesses successful and consumers happy. I'm Will Haywood, and I host a podcast called All Business, No Boundaries, where we talk about supply chains, how they work, what happens when they don't, and the innovations that are redefining what's possible in the world of logistics. Join me for insightful interviews with thought leaders and industry experts. We discuss how optimizing supply chains can break down the barriers that are holding businesses back. 
That's All Business, No Boundaries by DHL Supply Chain. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, so... So yeah, so that job we did, we finished it two days early. So we went within like 48 hours, we went from zero to producing 27,000 units a day. Wow. And um, we had two shifts of 200 temp workers each. And anyway, so they were like, well, you know, it's amazing you got this done. It's amazing you set this operation up. It's actually pretty incredible. Never seen anything like this, but mm. it's going to be a disaster when it goes back to this, to this wholesaler, like we're going to get killed with chargebacks and we're probably still going to lose the relationship. So they, they never had any trust through the whole thing. And then, but it was so funny when they did get the delivery happened. And then two weeks later it was, or even maybe sooner than that, a week later, it had all been received zero chargebacks and, and they were just shocked, you know, like they were (laughs) like, where did you guys come from? Like, this is, Okay. First of all, we hate three PLs, but you're you're now going to be our three PL. We want to just everything that we don't like doing in our building. We want to just give it to you. You handle it, and as long as you keep your work quality to this level, you'll never have to worry about volume again. Mm. And so we were like, well, "That sounds great, sure." Yeah. <laughs> and so we to, to tell you how much volume came our way after that. We 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 were living in South Carolina. We had just kind of renovated our dream house. This project was this gene project happened in Atlanta. And then we literally never went back to our house in South Carolina for years. Like, I think we had one weekend, maybe two weekends were able to go back. But we were so busy with this volume that we just we never really could get back to the life life as we had it before. And so it was just this huge thing. And and then a few years ago, they were just like, look, we are giving you this volume, but we really want to have a closer relationship. And so we want you to put a facility right next to ours. You'll be our dedicated partner. And here are all the things that we agree, we promise that we will, you know, provide in terms of revenue, the types of of things that we're going to do. So anyway, we went ahead and agreed to that. And so now we have a location that's basically in their parking lot. And that's just been a huge learning opportunity for us. We spent last 10 years working super closely with this giant global brand. And then every time one of their employees would leave and go somewhere else that whoever the new company is that they went to, they would come and work with us too. So we were completely word of mouth Mm. for years and years and just continue to grow a lot. And so like now we manage all of the programs of the super demanding wholesale accounts. Like they're Mm. big box retailers that are really, really tough that they, they're filling at in their own building, they they'll send us those programs and we'll manage those for them. So we learned from the best company, one of the biggest companies in the world, how to actually do this at scale and in a way that is just going to 100 percent please every person. So the most demanding retailer, you know, that's our baseline. So if, if they're easier than that, they're just going to be so happy with yeah. what we do. And then so we decided that. We want to grow, but we don't necessarily want to have such a high customer concentration. You know, we want to and we also want to use these skills to be able to help emerging brands that are mm. and mid market brands that where, you know, it's great that we're pleasing the operations manager and it's great that we're pleasing the CFO. But, you know, being able to really see how you have a personal impact on someone is just mm. really fun. 
I actually went to design school about five years ago, and I went to learn because this this customer is asking us to do some small manufacturing. So I wanted to just okay. kind of understand the process. And I was there with all these women who have these beautiful designs and so creative. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, you know, I, this is not my skill set to be a designer, maybe to fix things or to, you know, if someone else gives me a design, I can I can execute it. Yeah. But they all struggled so much with the nuts and bolts of business. They just, they, they hated it. It was intimidating. It was just painful to have to think about going out and finding a commercial lease and hiring a warehouse manager and making sure everybody shows up so that the orders could go out. And, and I just really realized how much I love the idea of, helping those brands to be able to become the very, you know, to actuate their dreams, to become as large and, and much as possible. And so for us now, a big part of our focus is helping direct to consumer brands that are trying to get into wholesale or even Amazon to be able to make that kind of like quantum leap to be yeah. able to do that. Hmm. Very interesting. And I, and I love that too, that, you know, you're trying to be able to, to help these, these smaller brands be able to, to do those business things, like you said, that they're not necessarily uh, as familiar with, or, you know, they have this, this great idea, but you know, how do they execute and how do they, you know, make that happen? So it's great that you guys are able to, to do that as well. And, and I'm curious too about you guys, because you added a lot of services along the way too, right? So you like all different types of services that you do. So talk to us a little bit about that and, and some of the services that you offer that maybe are a little unique or, or more challenging. I, I mean, I will say like, it doesn't seem like you guys back down from a challenge ever, which I think is is such a, an amazing thing. And it, and I'm curious to hear about your your mindset around that too, as well. Especially as you talk about, you know, not only did you do this big job, these three hundred thousand units with, with mold on them, but then you know they tell you that you know they want to give you their their three PL business too, with I imagine was you know probably several thousand units additionally and. You know, you kind of go from zero to, you know, 100 in, you know, uh, a couple of days, a couple of weeks, whatever the case may be. And, you, you know, how do you not allow yourself to kind of get get overwhelmed in that sense? Because I, I think sometimes if, you know, you get a rush of business, it's like there's a moment of like, yes, yes, yes. Like this is such a big win for us. And then it's like, oh, man, like how, we got to make this happen. Right. So like, how do you, how do you kind of navigate around that? Well, that's a great question too, man. I didn't realize this was going to be a therapy session today. (laughs) 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 You know, it's really funny. So like, gosh, there are a couple things about that. So first of all, on one of our very first dates, Brian and I were at a Christmas party and and Mm. the, the, it was one of those party games was that you, um, one person has one hand and the other person has the other hand behind their back. And so you have to, as a team work together to fold a prep to, to like gift wrap a present. Right. Mm, okay. And we finished in like 30 or 45 seconds. Like it was so fast. It was just, oh, wow. we had this, it was just really great. And everyone else was struggling for minutes afterward. And we just realized we have this like super connected and, and it's kind of like they say like two horses that, you know, can pull so much more than one could individually. It's kind of like that. So like Brian is a really strong math person. He's just really great with math and processes and, you know, that's the chemistry piece in him. And then I'm great at the business savvy piece. And so, and the, and the confidence, my, my kind of 
probably the best thing that I can do is give people confidence more than anything that something is is possible and that it's not just possible, but we're going to do it and we're going to do it today. We're not going to take a year to do it. We're going to do it today. And I think like, even though Elon Musk is super controversial right now, one thing that he Mm -hmm. talks about a lot is looking at like an engineering process and a series of steps. And he's like, it's it's generally stupid. So figure out what you Mm -hmm. can cut out of that and still get a result. And so compressing these, the life, the, you know, the length of time something takes, those are probably the two things that I'm good at. But Brian is amazing at process planning. And so mm-hmm. between the two of us, I just think that we just have, we feed off of each other a lot. And then the second thing I'd say, and this is a little personal, but so I ha- we have a son, we have a son. He's, mm-hmm. he's now 11, almost 11. And when he was born at four months, he started having seizures and he was having like a mm-hmm. hundred seizures a day, sometimes way oh, more wow. than that. And we had to have him medevaced. It was every two weeks we were in the hospital. We had to sign a do not resuscitate. Like it was absolutely like incredibly hard. And, you know, and we, we ultimately kept fighting for his life and fighting for his life and fighting for his life. And we found the ketogenic diet, or I guess I found the ketogenic diet for him. And when he got on that diet, the seizures completely stopped and it oh, was wow. absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that the seizure stopped a month or two before that big customer called us from our website. So we had just had these huge emotional ups and downs. And this customer called and it was like huge project prior. If we had never gone through that with Jack, I definitely don't think we would have been able to take that opportunity. But I Mm -hmm. think it had been so hard for so long that we were used to having that emotional roller coaster. And when it was gone, we felt almost like there was a void and uh, sounds crazy, Mm. crazy. But, um, and then, and then the other thing was that, you know, nothing is ever going to be as hard as what we went through there. So throw whatever hard business thing you want at us and we're, we're going to be fine. I mean, if we can make it through that and we can keep our, our kid alive, um, when everyone said it wouldn't happen, then, you know, there's not a business challenge that you can throw at us that we're not going to be able to solve. Mm-hmm. Now, I say that I will say there have definitely been times, though, where we have gotten to the point to where we like the Peters problem where, mm-hmm. you know, we hit our competency level and we're not able to personally be the ones to solve a problem. But, you know, we've always also really focused on having great relationships with people. And um, so, you know, producing 27,000 units in two days, the only way that happened was because we called in all of our resources from the, from the construction industry that we knew that did restoration work. And they helped us set up a location where we had racks and reels and everything else overnight. And, you know, so there's, we're also very comfortable punting to someone who is smarter or more experienced than us in certain areas. Like, we're very confident in our in our abilities, but we also understand that we're generalists. We're not necessarily, you know, we're not going to know all things, and we're totally fine with that. Interesting, interesting. And uh, I'm curious on the the partnership side. I mean, it, it, you know, if people are listening and they have a 3PL or they're starting a 3PL, thinking about it, um, you know, how how important is that side of the business for you guys. I mean, how important is the, the partnership side? Not only, uh, you know, obviously you have your partnerships with your, your clients and your customers, but the partnership from like a, 
a resource perspective, like being able to, like you said, call on people to like, Hey, come help you out. Like, I know you specialize in this. I mean, how, how important is that? And how much do you focus on that in, in your business? That's a great question. So in the past year, hired Esther Kessenbaum, who is the former president at Ruby Has, and she's our chief commercial officer. And that's what she does is build partnerships with other 3PLs. And, you know, when we decided to start handling fulfillment for smaller brands and not just live in this ecosystem of these few customers that we had at the time, these global brands, I was like, okay, you know, I've got to figure out pricing. I've got to figure out the technology piece. I've got to figure out, you know, what the titles are of the people that I'm looking for to hire. So I joined the IWLA and that is some of the best money that I've ever spent in my life. It's great from a legal perspective. It's great from, I mean, there are so many resources I can pick up and pick up the phone and call. And I try to do a lot with them too and, and give and provide information as much as possible. But I would say like of our of our business, probably 30% of our leads come from other 3PLs. Oh, we've, we've worked really hard to build a network with other, with other 3PLs because I mean, if you think about it, you know, we're all spending on, we're all spending on outbound marketing of some kind. It's either right. Google ads or whatever, uh, Facebook ads or newsletters. We're, we're all doing these outbound efforts. And, and what I noticed when I first got into this and we first really started marketing is that we were getting all these leads online that were not even paid leads, like not even, not even Google, Google ad leads, but they just found us on our website and it wasn't a fit for us. And I was like, it stinks to just like have to hand these, you know, to just these just they just go off into the ether. Like I need to find someone I can hand these off to, mm. you know. And so for us, it was really starting with how can we help someone else that, you know, this could be a perfect lead for. And then we're helping that customer and maybe they'll have someone who is in apparel. But, you know, so for us, it was defining which leads we really wanted, <clears throat> what our ideal customer profile was and then what's not a fit. And then finding the right partners that we felt safe giving those leads to that they would not then come back and be competitive with us. And then just building that framework. And I would say it's been absolutely critical. Mm. It's one of the most fundamental reasons for our success. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting because I, I think that, and somebody said this to me at a, a conference recently, because you know, I have a small fulfillment businesses as well. And somebody was like, why are you having uh, other 3PLs on your, your podcast? I guess you're like your competition. And I'm like, no, I don't think so. Like, uh, you know, there's, there's so much out there, like for everybody, I feel like, and you know, it's only beneficial to all of us to like be connected, not only like to learn from each other potentially, but also like you said, like, I mean, you guys have developed this network, which I think is fantastic that you're able to share back and forth potential leads because, you know, if you, you think about industry as a, a whole, there's so many different avenues and different types of products and, and things like that, where, you know, you may not, you may not focus on, on something like that. And like you said, you know, it's, it's always great to, instead of, instead of telling like a, inbound lead that, oh no, like that's not something we, we can handle. Right. You know, that kind of like, just, just like kills the relationship basically from the, the start where you can say like, oh, that's not something that we handle right now, but 
you know, I know, you know, so-and-so that could help you, right? I mean, that goes like a lot longer for developing a relationship where maybe it might pay off in the, the future for you if you, there's something you can handle. So, I mean, I think that's really such a great thing that you guys are so focused on that and, and have made such a kind of ecosystem around that. As you said, I think it really, really makes a lot of sense. And, and it's really helpful, I think, for the, the industry as a whole too to be able to to have that kind of openness and, and that uh, ability to, to partner and, and willingness too. So, it, you know, if we look at the 3PL industry, I think in general right now, I mean, what, what do you think your perspective is like on where does the 3PL industry kind of sit currently um, and, and where do you think it's kind of heading into the, the future as well? I mean, you know, we have a lot of huge players, right? Like the DHLs out there of the world, right? And, but then there's a lot of, you know, boutique, specialized, smaller, you know, family type of places too as well. So how do you think the re, 3PL landscape looks and, and how is it kind of growing into the future? Yeah, that's a, such a great question. I mean, I think it's a great business to be in. I really, I think it's, so hard. It's such a hard business to break through. So you have, you know, you have your level of competition, but I, I mean, at least in our space, maybe, maybe just regular old vanilla fulfillment is super easy, but mm-hmm. like the tech piece, there, there's just so many different levels of all these different things you have to pull together to make this business work that I think the players that are there are going to stay there. I worry a lot about inflation and mm-hmm. not just from a standpoint of, you know, like, labor, but also property. I think property inflation is a huge, something big to watch for. When it comes to like the DHLs, I think, I think there's certainly a place for those companies. And there's a lot of businesses that are going to fit really well for those. When we actually were defining what our ICP is, like our ideal customer profile, we wanted to find something where not every customer is going to be our customer. Mm. We're, We're really looking for a very specific type of customer, one that we can bring a lot of relief to that really needs a consultative approach. And in the apparel space, for instance, someone who is going to have high returns, we have an 85,000 square foot dropping facility in Atlanta. And so we can get items back in the stock within like 24 hours, where generally it can be 10 to 30 days. And that's a huge amount of money that's being left on the table in sales. Yeah. So, you know, for us, it was, understanding the market and how do we how do we make sure that we're going to stay relevant as all these different you know pressures come along and i think like the dhls those are great for you know companies that have just a few skus and they want to make sure that they have very close shipping to you know to the source or to the you know to the consumer so you need a whole bunch of warehouse for that apparel companies don't need a lot of warehouses you don't want to have you know 5,000 SKUs and have, you know, have that type of storage um, in multiple locations across the U.S. and that level of complexity that you're adding. So that's kind of why we went in the apparel space. I think like if I was just a regular 3PL, like a mom and pop 3PL and was trying to compete with DHL, I would be very concerned about that. But I also think that there's always a place for companies that are willing to not put a customer in a box, Mm. you know, and when you go with a super large 3PL, you get so many great things. You get the, you know, you get the proximity to your customers, you get 
a lot of built-in efficiencies, but sometimes you do have that experience of like, you don't get a customized approach and you can get lost in one of those. So it's nice to have, it's nice to have an alternative of not a baby brand new 3PL that's using you as a guinea pig Mm. (laughs) as you grow your business, but also not such a giant to where, you know, whenever Pete comes along, if they have, you know, some people are out that day, your, your, your account's going to be completely deprioritized because you don't matter because you're, you're not the largest one in there. Yeah. So I don't know. I think it's an interesting place for for every business right now. I think I'm thankful that we're I feel like things have finally leveled out a little bit. And I know it's still rocky. And, but I think if people run their business by really strong fundamentals, you know, that inflation can be managed, especially too if you can put in some automation, which I'm sure you are always talking about automation on your yeah, podcast. Yeah, so. yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah. Do you guys have any automation in place? We we have a little bit like some conveyors and things like that, mm. like very standard stuff. And but we've done a lot of building software to mm. solve okay. other problems. So not necessarily like on the floor automation. Yeah. Our our business doesn't maybe is not the best fit for having it's a, a tremendous of, amount like of high touch stuff, right? So it's hard. Yeah. Right. And every day is different in terms of what customers are going to need from that standpoint. So like you need to be able to kind of move. You don't, you don't need to have a huge, you know, sorter in the middle of your building. If you're going to have to manage, you know, a million returns in the next two weeks. And then there's just a lot to it with what we do. And the way that we approach business is that, you know, we're kind of like an integrated solution. So we're, we're kind of, we under the same roof, we have, returns co-located with outbound fulfillment mm. and then also value services and and maybe not exactly like we've got multiple buildings but they're all within very short distance of each other so that you know everything that that customer needs to have done can be done you know in our space mm. and i think that's one place too in terms of like what is coming in the industry i think companies are having to really start thinking about a better returns management program. And so like, if you have a brand that's got a handful of SKUs and they're at 1%, then who cares how they handle returns really? But if you've got a brand that's got 20 to 30% in returns, if you do the math on how much inventory they're having to overbuy for the same sales because of that lag between like a return and when it gets back in the stock, there's a lot of money there. And, And there's a lot like, ecological impact in terms of like having all these extra legs to Mm. send it to a return center and then send it back to the fulfillment center. And there's so much time that's lost there too. Yeah. So we don't have a lot of automation on purpose, but we do have a lot of process planning software. Mm. Yeah. Very interesting. And I I think uh, it's a great point about returns too, because, and I'm curious, like, because you said, I think, You've been doing this for about 10 years, it sounded like, from what you said earlier. So, I mean, how have you seen the returns as, you know, e-commerce has become more and more prevalent? I mean, how have you seen that returns number grow I mean, or, or change? Yeah, well, our B2B customers, I feel like returns for B2B have become a lot more, have become a lot better managed. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of that is setting expectations with your your B2B clients about like 
what's going to happen if product doesn't sell through and having a better handle on the quality of the units that are being returned. But that starts with having super fast turnaround of what's actually received. So like if you get a hundred thousand unit return back from whatever Macy's or whoever, um, if it takes you a month to tell them what you actually received versus what you gave them credit for, you're, you have no, yeah. you can't, you can't say a word about it. You just have to take what, what you basically told them up front, but mm. two or three days later, you can give them an inventory and you're like, you know, here's what was here. This, these, these many items were actually missing off of this, or these, these were unrelated items. Then all of a sudden you can start having more proactive conversations with companies. So I think, I think that's been an interesting thing on the B2B side is that data is definitely helping. And, you know, and part of that is having the right vendor to help on the returns management side. But part of it is also just better, much better data that's available now, much better systems. And then I think on the like customer side, like the, you know, D to C side. Well, there's just, there's no doubt that returns are playing a huge role, especially in apparel. You know, most people will size bracket. They'll try, mm. they'll buy two or three things and try yeah. and figure out which ones fit. And then, so then you've got all this product that is just, it's not being sold. Maybe it's fine. Maybe it's still in a poly bag, but it's, it's not on the shelf. <laughs> it's not ready to be picked, shipped. So, so there's that, you know, I think, um, a great change that's come in the last few years is like the loop returns where you can do right. you know, those, those there's several softwares like that. that are just awesome. And they help re, recapture a lot of that revenue. And then I think, I think the other thing that's happening now more than it ever was before is that I think people are becoming a lot more aggressive about returning things. So mm. in the past when everyone had money, maybe you have something you don't love um, you're going to, you're just going to keep it, but that's not happening now. People are becoming yeah. a lot more conscientious about their money. So a lot of things that normally wouldn't be returned are being returned. Mm. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting insights. And I'm certainly guilty of having some things lying around that I never got around to, uh, return. <laughs> it was too late. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's great to, to talk to you today and, and really kind of dig into all this stuff. I mean, it, it's a fantastic story and it, it's really incredible to see how you've just kind of taken all these challenges on and, and just, you know, made it into this, this business that it is today. And it's really, really pretty remarkable. So, and really great insights too. I mean, on the three PL side too, on, on, you know, how to come up with some great partnerships and also the return side and, and how to kind of focus and, and be able to do, to do those types of things that you've done. So really appreciate you coming on the show today, Courtney, if people want to learn more about renewal logistics, uh, what's the best way to do that? Yeah. So, um, uh, I mean, we're on a lot of the social media channels. I think like if you want the most comprehensive, you know, we have, we do a lot of blog posts and we link it all on our website. So I would just come to renewallogistics.com. We have a really great YouTube channel where we do a lot of education and then we post a lot on LinkedIn. So that those are some other places. Renewallogistics.com is, is really probably the best. All right, great. And we'll definitely put all that information at thenewwarehouse.com as well so people can easily find it. So Courtney, thank you once again for coming on the show today. You've been listening to the New Warehouse Podcast with Kevin Lawton. Subscribe and check us out online at thenewwarehouse.com.
Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want more content from the new warehouse, check out our new video series called All Hands on LinkedIn. Just search for the new warehouse on LinkedIn and follow along.